Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just wanna make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review, that would be very appreciated. All right guys, let's dive in. The minute they see you as someone who's listening to them, who cares, who really, really, really gets what they're struggling with right now, that's the person who buys the house. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, welcome to the show. Welcome back to Just Our Real Estate. I appreciate you being here. Thank you for being a listener. I have another good one for you. It's another Wednesday replay. You know we do live Q&A on Facebook. If you go to Just Start Real Estate on Facebook, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, I do a live Q&A. Answer your questions live for free on Facebook, and you should get involved live. If you're not doing that already, go and check it out. I think it would be a good thing for you. If you have any questions at all, do you think I can help you with? I am there for you every single Wednesday, completely free. Just log on, type in your questions. I will get them answered for you that night. I had a really, really good one recently, and that's what we're replaying now. Uh, we talked about ringless voicemail versus text marketing. Somebody uh, asked me which one I would recommend. They're in the Atlanta area, and I talked about that. We talked about the key factors when talking to sellers. It was a very long multi-part question somebody had about all these different aspects of talking to a seller, and how do you differentiate? What is your unique proposition? How do you stand out from the crowd? And so I got into pretty good depth about that. So on the acquisition side, if that's something you're interested in, you should check it out. And also, we talked about the best lists for cold calling right now, and I answered that question. So this is a good one, guys. I'm excited for you to be here. I'm excited for you to be listening to it. Again, go go live and, and check it out on Wednesday so you can get your personal questions answered. But for now, let's listen to the replay. Okay, we are live, guys. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. We are back with you for another Q&A. We are right before Christmas, and this will be the last one before Christmas gets here. Um, and so if you haven't been here before, we do this every single uh, Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern time and 4 p.m. Pacific time. And, uh, and so we do this because I know when I started off, when I started in my real estate investing business, I had a lot of questions. I didn't know where to go to get answers. And frankly, some of the people that were local to me uh, were, you know, they were worried that if I succeeded, that they would, you know, their business would be impacted. And they didn't say it, but you just sort of had that feeling you weren't getting all the answers all the time. And, and some people did. I, I definitely had people on in my corner in my local market who were trying to help me and they were friendly and they were, you know, really forthcoming. But it's not like I had someone at a high level who was just pouring into me all the time and answering all my questions. It was, you know, I was sort of bothering them a little bit to get their time. And, and so I get that, right? And so there were a lot of things that I just didn't know how to get the answers to. And it took me longer than it had to, to get the answers because I had to wait. I had to figure a lot of things out on my own. And I don't want that for you guys. I wish I had had someone like me who would just show up, answer questions completely honestly, no, don't hold back anything. Like just give me the answers so I can move forward 
forward in my business and help me understand how to grow that business. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do for you here. I was able to go from flipping my first house in 2008, going into 2009 to fast forward now over the last six years or so we have in my company, we've done about 600 deals, a little over 600 deals over the last six years. So uh, we really cranked it up. We learned a lot and we were able to apply things that I learned, frankly, from people who were doing more than me six, seven, eight years ago. I was able to apply what they were doing in their business and my business and it all took off. And it can for you too. You just have to ask the questions. You have to show up, right? They say showing up is half of the battle. It really can be. So uh, you have to show up at things like this. You have to show up at masterminds and local RIAs. You have to be where things are happening so you can ask questions that get you to where you want to go. Okay. All that being said, there is a place where you can go if you really, really want to work with me on a much, much deeper level and take that business that you started and really take it to the next level and beyond. I wrote a book uh, about a year and a half ago called Level Jumping. And the concept of it is you don't necessarily have to take your business just to the next level. It's possible to, to skip and take it to the next, next level, right? So level jumping, instead of going from A to B, you can go from A to C. It's possible, but you have to have someone else's hindsight to use as your foresight. And that's exactly what I want to do for you. So if you go to sevenfigureinvestor.com, and that's the word seven spelled out, okay? So S-E-V-E-N figureinvestor.com. Go there, check it out. You can sign up. You could be part of my program. I want to see you there. I want to help you, but I can't help you if you don't join. If you can't get in that mode of, of learning and being taught and being, you know, a piece of clay that can be molded. If you're, you know, if your glass is full, you can't, no one can pour into you, right? So enough metaphors, you get it. Go and sign up. I want to help you. 2022 can be the year that you do all the things that you've been wanting to do for the last probably several years, right? The stuff that's been eating away and you wish you'd gotten started sooner and the market's really hot and maybe it's too late, right? All those, all of those fears and all of those limiting beliefs that run through your head, I want to help you make it happen in 2022. 2021 is almost gone. I would love to say that I can help you build a seven-figure company in this year, but I frankly can't. We've got a week left. I'm not, you know, I'm not a magician, but I can show you what you have to do next year to reach that goal. So go and check it out. Seven, the word seven figureinvestor.com. I'll see you there. Okay. Let's dive into the questions that we have today. Like I said, this is the last one. Christmas is coming up in a few days. We are going to have our Q&A next week as well. So between Christmas and New Year, I know a lot of you guys are going to be doing things, taking a break, going on vacation. I'm going to be here for you. So if you want some real exclusive time with me, because I anticipate people are going to be busy, I'm going to be here. So come and check us out. Okay. First question. Excuse me. I got a little bit of a cold, so I'm going to try not to cough too much, but for wholesaling lead generation. This is a question I got. I purchased a list of sellers in the Atlanta area, and I'm conflicted between using ringless voicemail and text market, text marketing. Which do you think work best for this market? Okay. I don't know which one would work best for that market. What I see over all markets, not just Atlanta, because I'm not an Atlanta market specialist, right? I don't live in Atlanta, but what I can tell you across most markets I feel like I would give the slight edge to text marketing. I know more people personally that I can like literally name by name 
that have done better in text marketing than in uh, ringless voicemails. However, I look at those in my business as being almost equal options. Like those two marketing channels are fairly equal in my market and in a lot of people market. I know they sort of perform similarly. If your goal is to really crank up your business, to really get a lot of leads, to get a lot of deals and really start cranking it up, it can be a little slower going with text mail and our text blasting and, and ringless voicemail. But the great thing about both of those options are they're so, so inexpensive, very, very, very inexpensive. So you can afford to download lists and just blast those things out like crazy because the cost isn't, you know, doesn't hold you back. It's really, you know, it's super, super cheap. It's almost nothing. So I think if I were you, I would start, if you have to pick between, by the way, the answer is do both because they're so cheap. Okay. But if you really want to pick one and just really focus on it, okay, it's up to you. I would probably start with text text marketing and then add ringless voicemail to it afterward. That's probably the direction I would go for a, a lot of reasons. But number one is because I know more people who text and get deals from texting than I do ringless voicemail. The other reason is ringless voicemail can be a little bit tricky. Um, it's, it's not, I, I think the effectiveness of sending a voicemail to someone that says, Hey, I buy houses for cash fast. You don't have to make any improvements. Like kind of like we do on, on postcards or like direct mail kind of a thing that doesn't work so well in, in ringless voicemail. So you have to be a little bit more creative. And I think that the fact that you have to be a little more creative makes it harder to scale if that makes sense. So I would say text blasting is what I would probably start with and then add ringless voicemail. If you're going to do one only, um, if you can do both, do both. I think that's great. And if you really, really want to take it up a notch, if you really want like, Hey Mike, I, I don't know anything more than these two, but I would say direct mail. If you really want to get some responses and start getting some, some deals, I would also maybe a direct mail down the road. If, if that, if your marketing budget allows, okay. <clears throat> Again, sorry for my voice. Okay. The next question. All right. The next question is multiple. It's a, it's a multi-part question. So this is going to take a little while. We're going to go through it though. Okay. My wife and I are starting our first direct mail campaign in the Santa Barbara area to hopefully land our first off-market buy and hold rental. Wondering what you think are key things we should know when someone calls up and says, tell me more specifically. So when someone calls them based off their direct mail and asks them certain questions, I guess they, or, or, you know, wants to know why, what makes them so special, right? Number one, in what unique ways can we bring them value? The obvious ones are saving them the hassle of listing and saving them money on agent commissions if they choose not to get an agent, but I'm sure there are other creative suggestions out there. Okay. When you're going direct mail route and going direct to seller, the goal is always um, the goal is always to eliminate the realtor. Nobody needs a realtor in a direct to seller transaction. Okay, so I would say honestly, if they're working with an agent, or let's put it this way: if they're not working with an agent when they call, but they want to get one, I would tell them that that's fine but they are going to have to pay an agent and they already found a buyer, right? Agents find buyers. And so you're a buyer and they're a seller. Bringing the agent in is just giving someone 3% of the sale price for nothing, in my opinion. And that's what I would tell them. Like, the, you know, agents bring you buyers. I'm, I'm your buyer. Right? I'm going to buy this house. And so you can, if you want to just bring someone into an equation to pay them thousands of dollars, 
to do something that was done before they even arrived? I guess that's up to you, but what is, I would ask them why they want an agent. So, um, and, and you know, I'm going to go back to the beginning of your question, honestly, because in what unique ways can we bring them value? So you, as the investor asking that question, you've already set yourself up for failure. The goal is never really to bring them unique value. The goal is to bring them true value. And so the value that a lot of investors think that they bring is we can close quickly, we can pay all cash, like all this stuff. That is, that is a given. Like any investor worth a darn is already giving them all of that. Your job as the investor and the reason why you can and should get the deal over your competitors is you're not focusing on how fast you can close, how much money you can give them, how much hassles you can save them. Like you're not, that isn't where you should be focusing your energy. That's not your sales pitch. Okay. The sales strategy or the, the strategy in general, when you go into a seller's home is to determine what their pain points are. What is it that they're struggling with? Why do they want to sell? What's their challenge? What's, what is, what is the thing that's causing them to even call you to begin with? Usually it's not, it's the, the biggest thing is not that they have to uh, close fast or that they, you know, want a cash sale. Like it's not usually that it's like, you have to go deeper. If you just go in there and you try to sell them on the things that you just mentioned, all of your competitors can do the same thing probably. And so you need to sit down with them before you talk about price, before you talk about selling fast, all cash, you know, no repairs, all these things that we throw on our business, on our, our postcards and letters and things like that. You need to sit down and Mr. Mrs. Seller, tell me about your situation. This is a lovely house. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested in it. I'll tell you right up front, I'm interested, but I'm, I'm really more interested in, in what's going on. Like, why, why are you selling? What's the situation in your life that's causing you to sell? And honestly, a lot of times, a good strategy is to tell them right up front, listen, this is a beautiful house. Why not list it on the MLS? Why not just get a realtor and list it on the MLS? If they've called you and let you come out there, chances are they've already eliminated that option. Okay. And so you can get that off the table. We can get realtors and the MLS off the table because there's something going on in their life that's prohibiting them from selling, selling it on the MLS. And if it is just speed, like I need to get out of here fast. Great. You can solve that, but really try to understand what, why do they need to sell fast, right? That's the level you have to go. Why do you have to sell fast? What's happening? What's the pain point? And don't, don't use the word pain point, obviously, but sit down and really listen to them. And here's the thing, really care, like really, really find out what's happening in their life that they're struggling with, the challenge that they're facing that's causing them to be sitting across the table or, you know, in the living room with some stranger who wants to buy their house. Something's going on. Solve that problem. And all of the other stuff will come so much easier. Solve the problem. Be a problem solver. Don't be a house buyer. Don't be a negotiator, be a problem solver. The minute they see you as someone who's listening to them, who cares, who really, really, really gets what they're struggling with right now, that's the person who buys the house. Solve the problem, buy the house. Buying the house is just 
it's just making their problem it's it's helping the problem go away or it's it's not the problem it's the solution to the problem and so find out what the problem is so you can better help them with the solution because the purchase price a lot of times it's not just the purchase price and, and sometimes it's not the purchase price at all it's how you buy it it's when you buy it it's all the things that go into like whatever they're dealing with that's how you go about purchasing their house but until you know the problem you don't know the process for buying the house that makes that problem go away for them. So that's that. Okay. Number two, this is a, this is a multi-part question. I told you, <clears throat> here we go. Number two, is it pretty common for the buyer's agent to act as a dual agent in situations like this? I could imagine the seller may be wary of the buyer suggesting, Hey, you should just use my agent. Number one, you don't need an agent. They don't need an agent. Let's get agents off the table. When you are, uh, doing direct mail and you're going direct to seller, nobody needs an agent. In fact, in my business, my partner who does our sales and goes into the homes and talks to the homeowners, he's an agent. He tells them right up front. It's in our paperwork. I'm an agent, but I'm not acting as an agent. In this capacity, I am strictly here to buy your house. I am not legally, ethically, or in any way, shape, or form representing you as an agent. I'm not representing my company as a realtor. I'm here as a person who wants to buy your house. And so nobody needs, you're, you're off base with that. Nobody needs an agent. You don't need an agent. They don't need an agent. There's no dual agency. Get the agents off the table. This is where, this is why homeowners need time to understand the process from an investor like us, because they think the same thing you think, like, who, where's the agent? Who's the agent? When do we get an agent? No agent. Agents find buyers and, and they, they help sellers find buyers. They found the buyer. You're the buyer. Okay. The title companies can guide you through the process of the closing. Nobody needs an agent. So that's, that's number one. I've, like I said, I've bought well over 600, probably closer to 700 houses in my life. And I think not counting my personal home, but just like investment properties, I have never used an agent. And I think the sellers have used an agent. I don't know, maybe had an agent involved for whatever reason, because they were a friend or they just were scared maybe a dozen times out of 700 transactions. Like it just doesn't happen. So nobody needs an agent. Next part of this question. What, if any, differences are worth highlighting between the MLS and off-market ownership transfer process? The only difference between those two processes are the agent, the realtor. So, and the MLS, a realtor has to be involved. If a house is listed on the MLS, a realtor has to be involved at some point, at some level, right? When it's just off-market owner transfership, no, no agents needed. That's the only difference. You still go to a title company. You still, you know, depending on what state you're in, you have a deed of trust or you have a mortgage, um, all those things, if there's a mortgage, unless you're buying it cash, right? If you're buying it cash, there's no mortgage, but it goes through a title company. There's a title search to make sure that there's no liens or encumbrances on that property. And so the there's really two, two things. There's the MLS listing part where you're trying to find a buyer. And then once a buyer is identified and a purchase agreement is signed, it goes to the title company or the attorney. And they handle the actual closing process to make sure it's all done legally and that there's no liens or mortgages that people aren't aware of and that the, the house is completely debt-free when you buy it. Um, that's all that happens, right? So the MLS part of it is the looking for a buyer part. And once you find a buyer, you, the MLS is not needed anymore. So there's no difference in the, in the transfer process. It all happens the same, whether it goes MLS or not. So, <clears throat> okay. 
Is there anything related to financing that changes for off-market deals? Is it harder to get financing for any reason? Nope, it's not harder to get financing at all. Um, the If you're going to get financing, the lending institution, their number one concern is that there's a mortgage recorded against the property and there's no other liens on the property when they finance it, right? So they want to make sure the title work is done at a title company or an attorney's office. And once that's all done and the attorney or the title company says, once, once this uh, transfer is done and the loan, is, you know, your loan that you wanna put on this property is there, there'll be no other loans or no other encumbrances, encumbrances, no other liens, nothing, right? So the process of ownership transfer is the same because that process happens at a title company or at an attorney's office whether it's MLS, off-market or not, whatever, whichever way it is, it all happens at a title company or an attorney's office. And it doesn't change whether it's on the MLS or not when it's, when it's being sold. Okay, uh, next one. Okay, question here, looks like live. Michael Robertson, what's up, Michael? I am focused on direct mail and cold calling. I am happy with my results and will expand in 2022. Do you recommend another avenue? Heck no, uh, I'm keeping this PG, but uh, heck no. If direct mail and cold calling is working and you're happy with your results and you're gonna expand that in 2022, I think that's perfect. I think that's absolutely perfect. Here's the mistake most people make and your, your brain is, is trying to make this mistake a little bit because you're asking the question. And here's, I'm gonna rephrase it and so that you can hear how it sounds to me when I read that question. Here's how it sounds. Hey, I'm, I'm doing this marketing, direct mailing and cold calling. It's working. I love it. I'm going to do more of it next year. Should I do something different instead? Am I making a mistake? It's like, no, you're not making a mistake. Trust the numbers. If something works, do more of it. If something isn't working, don't do it. It's really that simple when it comes to marketing, but you have to track your marketing. You have to know which marketing is working. When the call comes in or um, you know, an email or whatever, text message, whatever, when you get feedback from your marketing, you have to know where that feedback is coming from, whether you have some automated mechanism that tells you where it came from, or you just simply ask, where did you hear about us? How did, why, you, know, how did you get this number? Why are you calling? Find out what marketing and channel came from and, and record that so you know. Once you know what's working, it's like a it's like a dials are in front of you, right? Direct mail, cold calling, text blasting, ringless voicemail, driving for dollars, whatever it is you're doing, right? PPC, whatever. Look at what's working, turn the things up and do more of it when they're working. When they're not working or they're not working well, turn them down or turn them off. That's how marketing works. It's just switches and dials. Do more of what's working, less of what's not. Now, if you're asking me if there's an additional marketing channel that you should consider, um, depending on your marketing budget, like do these and do more of them. If you have a certain marketing budget and you expanding these two things takes up that budget, then, then leave it alone. Expand what's working. But if you're like, if, if you're in the kind of good position of saying, hey, I'm going to expand these things, I still have money available for marketing. Is there anything you would suggest? Well, in that case, do the fact that you're doing direct mail and cold calling, I think the third thing you could add if you wanted to add something, and I'm telling you, please don't add this unless you fully maximized what you're getting out of direct mail and cold calling. But when you do decide to expand and do more, and maybe that's what you're asking, expand, 
if you want to do more than just those two things, but again, I would suggest doing more of those, but if you want to expand PPC would be the next thing that I would, I would recommend Google AdWords. Um, right now in my business, personally in Michigan, PPC is bringing us far and it's not even close. It's a, it's a, the, it's a distant second. Everything else is a distant second. PPC is bringing us the most deals right now. We're not doing a lot of direct mail right now. Like very little to none, but we're doing a lot of PPC and we're getting a lot of deals from it. So um, I think PPC would be the next frontier for you, but please do more direct mail, do more cold calling. If it's working, don't take resources from those two things to do something else. Double down on what's working. Always double down on what's working in, in marketing and add things as you have discretionary or excess uh, funds available for marketing, like R&D, right? I would think of like R&D, like these things are working. I'm going to go over here in my R&D department and I'm going to start a new marketing channel and see, I'm going to play with it, see how it works. If it works really, really well, we'll put it in the main, we'll put it in the main focus, right? That's going to be something else we focus on. If it doesn't work, flush it and, and put something, something else in R&D, figure out what else you're going to be developing, right? That's how I would look at it. Good question though, Michael. And if I jump down your throat a little bit with the expand thing, um, I, I wasn't sure what you meant. If you're expanding more direct mail and cold calling, or if you want to expand into new things, please put, put your resources, time and energy into cultivating that flame that you have going with direct mail and cold calling, make that a bigger flame until it's a roaring flame. And once you feel like that flame can't get any higher, then you maybe expand into something else. But I would say, Go hard into what's working. Don't look for a reason to not do what's working. Okay, Corey Tanner has a question. What's up, Corey? Just started my real estate journey and looking to get into cold calling. What list would you recommend calling right now? So there's two ways you can go with a lot of your marketing, whether it be direct mail or cold calling. It's it's a lot of times, I, I really think there's two main categories. There's niche lists, and there's equity, right? Equity is kind of this big, wide open, expansive like list. It's, it's a, it could be a huge list depending on your market. Niche marketing and niche lists are smaller and they're way more timely. They're time sensitive more so than, than um, an equity list. And so my question back to you, Corey, would be how big of a list are you wanting to pull. Okay. If you tell me that, you know, marketing budget is, you know, small and I'm only going to pull a 5,000 person list and, and that's what I have. I would say I would go more toward niche, like, you know, vacant houses or um, code violations or tax foreclosures or, you know, pre-foreclosure, some of those kind of things. I would go toward those lists because they're going to be smaller in general and they're timely. So, you know, you may pull that list of, of four or 5,000 and you may cold call them for, you know, a month or two or three, and then you need to go pull new lists because, you know, those lists, the time, the time frame that they had to do something about their problem is past. And so you have to pull a new list. Those niche lists don't last forever. Now, if you tell me I'm going to, I have the money, I have plenty of marketing budget. I could pull a hundred thousand names right? If that's the kind of budget you're talking about, then I would probably encourage you and push you more toward an equity list, right? You can pull a hundred thousand people who have a certain amount of equity and cold call them like crazy. And the reason why a lot of times with cold calling, it's nice to have a bigger list 
is because you can start using uh, these cold calling services where you can do like robo dialing or power dialing, they call it sometimes, where you are put it, you're loading up like 500 to 1000 numbers. And this service or this software will call like five or 10 numbers at one time, and they'll all start ringing. And as soon as one person or one of those five pick up, all the other ones will drop and you're talking to that one person. And so people can, you know, cold calling um, these companies that do cold calling, one person can call thousands and thousands of numbers in a day. And, and so it, a lot of times with cold calling, the problem that people run into is they run out of lists. They, they burn through their lists so fast that they're constantly trying to figure out where they're going to get a new list. So they're not just calling the same people every week. So if that's the situation, you've got a budget, I would go equity, get a bigger list, and then power dial these people. Because the other thing is, and I told someone this just last week, actually, they were calling, they were cold calling five people a day. Five people a day are going to be really, really tough unless you're doing a super duper, duper, duper focused list, like a highly hyper focused list. Even at that, five calls a day are rough. Like we want people to make like five calls every 15, 20, 30 minutes. Like and a cold, a real cold calling like machine is each person's calling hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Right. And so cold calling tends to be a thing where you need bigger lists and bigger lists means, you know, you, you tend to get more into that equity side because if somebody has, let's just say 50% equity, if you get everybody in your market on a list that is 50% equity, some of those people are going to also show up on a niche list. Right. And so that's another thing you could do if you have the money is buy an equity list and buy a bunch of niche lists and stack them. They call it list stacking, stack those up and see who shows up on, let's just say you have five different lists. Let's see who shows up on two or three of them or four of them, or even five of them. Right. And now you have a highly, highly, highly targeted list. And so maybe you call all those people first because they have a lot of equity, they have code violations and they're behind on their taxes, for example, right? Like, geez, this person really needs help bad. So you call those people first. Um, but but that's that's how I would do it, man. If I had tons of, you know, if I had the money to spend on, on the bigger list, I would get the bigger list and, and be calling hundreds of numbers an hour, right? That's probably how I would go about it. If you don't have that money, I would go for niche and just pull a list of maybe a handful of thousand, four, five, three, four, five thousand, and just start piling through those numbers and calling those guys. That's how I do it. Okay. Uh, next. Okay. Michael said, thank you. Got it. Tracking my campaigns with call rail. Awesome. I'll stick with my two for now. Eye on the ball. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Michael, too many people, man, they have something working and they just like, go, ah, I want to try this instead. And I'm going to stop direct. So you're 100% right, man. You got two things that are working for you. Double down. Go deeper into those two things. Really, really uh, squeeze the juice out of it and get everything you can out of those two before you start dumping money into anything else. Okay, we are about halfway through the hour. If anybody on has, has another question, post it right now because I think I'm going to call it for the night. Um we do have one more question, but I'm going to hold this off till next week. It's a, it's a long one. It's going to take a little bit longer. Um, but if you guys, Corey or Michael, if you guys got anything else, let's do it. Otherwise, uh, we are going to call it for the week. I'm going to do a countdown. Hey, Corey, you're welcome. You said, thank you. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you being on. Um, we'll do a countdown here. Two, one, zero. All right, guys, that's it. 
have a good Christmas. I won't speak to any of you probably before Christmas. So have a good Christmas, have a good new year. If you're not here next week, I get it, but I'd love to have you have a good holiday season, be safe, be careful. Uh, Remember your competition is taking from now until the new year off. They're taking it off, right? I'm not suggesting that you don't take time off. Definitely take time off with your family, but in those times where you're just sort of killing time playing Xbox or, you know, whatever, just watching some Netflix thing you've already seen, maybe start mapping out what next year is going to look like. Map out some goals, just kind of map, give yourself a little bit of a roadmap of what you want to accomplish next year. Come and find me and let's make it happen. I want you to hit your goals next year. I don't care how crazy and big they are. They're attainable. Trust me. Let's work together. Let's get those things figured out. Go find me on sevenfigureinvestor.com. Show up to these Wednesday nights. Ask all the questions you want. I'm here for you guys. Have a safe and happy holiday season, and we'll see you next week. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time. 